Hey, um, that is the pace in which, unfortunately, our culture lives. As I said, and we're going to kind of recap over the last couple of weeks, and we're going to jump into today's talk. Um, kind of the idea came from the book Margin. It was written by a Christian uh, doctor, a medical doctor, who talked about the pace of life in our cult, which our culture lives in, and uh, the destruction that it causes relationally, spiritually, physically, emotionally, mentally, and how it causes problems. And we started kind of looking at that pace in which we all live, and what does the scripture say about kind of slowing down, creating margins in our life, creating room in our life to be able to breathe and enjoy the life that, that God has given us. So if you have your programs, inside your program says well, uh, overloaded lives, and today we're going to talk about financial margins, and I know all of you, when the word finances and church come up, you're all like, man, praise God, we're in church today talking about money, right? Not really, okay. So let's go over the last couple weeks, and then we're going to jump in today, all right? So we said this at the very beginning as we, we pulled out some definitions to help us track through. We said this, that progress, according to uh, Dr. Swenson's book and a historian, he says progress began to happen in, in the Western culture uh, in about 1800, all right? And, and he says, here's the mindset from the 1800s until today. And I told you in that week number one, and you can get a CD or listen online, that I disagree with that. I actually believe that it goes back to Genesis chapter 3. But anyhow, none, nonetheless, and here, here is his definition of progress. He says, it is, it is proceeding to a higher stage of development. So here's his thesis. His thesis is the reason why we do not have margins in our life, whether it be from scheduling, uh, whether it be time management, whether it be finances we're looking today, is there is a desire in all of us to want to proceed to a higher standard or a higher level of living in our life, all right? And, and so we gave the definition of what margin is. Margin means an extra amount, uh, 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 an extra amount of time or, or finances allowed beyond what is needed. And so here's the easy thing to understand about a margin. A margin is when you have 30 minutes of free time to travel 20 minutes away, all right? You have a margin of 10 minutes. We live in a pace that we have 20 minutes to travel 30 minutes away. Would you agree with that? Right? And you become creative and you try to figure out a way to get there. And so the margins have been kind of robbed from us because we have a desire in our life to want to proceed to a higher level, a higher whatever. So we believe doing more, having more, and being more is better. And that's how we live our life, all right? So we said this in week number one, and I'm not going to go through because I, I uh, uh, have, have a lot of stuff I want to cover today. But in, in uh, week number one, Matthew chapter 11, verse 28, uh, we kind of set the, the standard of where we are going to go and what we are going to do. And we looked at where Jesus said, come to me, all right? And in week number one, the first idea we looked at was that Jesus calls us to him. He says, come to me, all you who are weary, and burden, and I will give you rest. And the idea of Jesus calling us is a lordship call, all right? It doesn't mean that we're just going to kind of follow along Jesus, but we're actually going to invite him in to be the Lord 
of our life. All right. And so there's a lordship call when we come to him. It's a lordship call. And then we said in in verse 29, we said that we got to give up control. Jesus says, take my yoke. Right. And and we learned that yoke isn't the middle of the egg. It's not the yellow part, but it's actually a a tool that harnesses two animals. It's not a harness. I shouldn't shouldn't use that word. It's not a harness because in biblical times, a harness was strapped onto one animal and that one animal Uh, carried the whole load. A yoke was two animals teamed up together. And we said, so when we take on the yoke of Christ, it symbolizes a partnership. It symbolizes submission to him. And we're going to go in the direction in which he travels, and we're going to go in the pace in which he travels. It's no longer our control but he is the Lord of our life and therefore we're following him and he is leading and he is, he is guiding. And so we said, when you're yoked with Christ, you move together in the same direction and at the same pace. And then we looked at uh, the idea that we're learning to trust where he says, learn from me for I am gentle and humble. And we learned, we, we learned that it was kind of a weird thing for him to say gentle and humble, but, w- but what he meant was, I don't speak quickly i don't commit quickly and i recognize that's the gentle part that when someone asks me to do something i don't go yeah we could do that i stop i pause and i think is that something that god would really have me to do right and then the humble part is to recognize that you are not the savior of the universe you cannot fix anyone all you can do is be an instrument in which god uses and so you take off the superwoman superman mentality and you just allow the lord to be the lord of your life and then last week we looked at scheduling and we said as soon as we get rushed and overloaded the two most important things that we should never let go are the two very important things and that is intimate time with god right and that's where jesus says in matthew uh, 6 he says seek first the kingdom of god and when our schedules get filled and when our life gets in a rush The first thing that gets out of balance is our relationship with Christ. And we say, you know what, God, we may may not say it verbally, but in, in our actions we speak it. We push God aside and we do life without him. And the very thing that brings balance into our life is our relationship with Christ. Setting time aside to worship him and to seek him brings the alignment that we need in our life. And then the second thing that we throw to the side is the intentional time of rest where God says that we are to have a Sabbath. And how many of us, and don't raise your hands, we're going to do that in a minute, but how many of us have said, I can't go to church today, I can't worship with the brothers and sisters in Christ because I'm busy, i got to make up for what I didn't do during the weekday. And Sunday becomes boop, a work day. Right? Amens to that? All right. So we covered all that in the last couple of weeks, again, if you missed it, you can grab a, uh, a CD on the way out or you can always listen online if there's no CDs left. So here we go. Today is a message, and I was trying to think of a creative way to start it. Today is a message. This is what I learned. Both my parents are deceased now. But when I was a teenager, my parents were knuckleheads. Right? Right? And as I got older, I recognized that mom and dad were wiser than I thought. You know what I'm saying? Right? Any, anybody else? Right? When you're a teenager, you're like, oh, I think we called them toads. Did we call them toads or something like that? Is that what we called them? No, you guys are like, huh, what is that? Uh, maybe you called them your parents something else. 
don't say it, this is church friendly here, right? So, so anyhow, th- this is a message, this is a message that if you get it, you know what it's going to be? It's going to be like, you're going to be like the adult that looks back in your life and go, oh, I just wished I would have learned it a long time ago, right? Unfortunately, I didn't. And, and if you're resistant to what I'm going to say today, you are the teenager that I was when I thought my parents were knuckleheads. And then when I got into my mid-20s and early 30s, I realized my dad was pretty wise. Uneducated, but very wise when it comes to life and personalities and dealing with people. And as I look back, I think, hmm, he's way smarter than I gave him credit for. All right? So, so I'm just going to tell you on the front end, some of you are going to be real resistant to this. And that's okay. That's all right. My prayer is at some point in your life, you will begin to embrace it, look back on this day and think, man, I wish I would have started it a long time ago. So here it is. Pull out your outline. Let's go. You guys ready? <clears throat> Our culture lives, for the most part, with zero margins when it comes to finances. The norm, the norm, is to live paycheck to paycheck The norm is to live with enormous amount of debt and sometimes sometimes revolving debt, meaning meaning credit card debt, right? That is the norm. And on the end of the month or the end of the week or however you do your bills, the vast majority, the vast majority of folks will sit down at their desk or sit down at their kitchen table And there will be tension in their life because of finances. And they will sit back and they will be sweating bullets because there is no margin in their finances. That is the norm for our culture. That is the norm. And it creates a ton amount of of problems, uh, worry, anxiety, fear, tension, relational problems, marital problems. Uh, you know, there's a lot of problems that are created because of it, all right? But that is the norm. Now, remember last week, we looked in Romans chapter 12. He says, do not conform any longer to the patterns of this world, right? As followers of Christ, we're to be different in our scheduling. We're to be different in our finances. The norm is debt. The norm is financial stress. The norm is zero margins financially. That's the norm. But here's what I want to recommend to you. Doing life normally isn't working. It's not working. Because that is being yoked to the world. Right? That's the the way in which the world does it. So look with me in your outline. Let's skip down. We're going to go to Proverbs chapter 21. We're going to look at verse 20. You guys are there? I got a bunch of stuff on there and recapping. You there? All right, Proverbs 21, verse 20 says this. In the house of the who? Wise. Wise. Remember last week we looked at the wise and the fool, right? Oftentimes in Scripture, the wise were the ones who were living according to God's plan. The fool was the ones living contrary to God's plan. Didn't mean that they weren't believers. It meant that they they were living the way that the world does business. So he says here, he says, in the house of the wise are stores of choice food and oil. Stop. 
In those days, we would say, if we were to bring it into a contemporary setting, we would say they would have margin. They had enough money in the bank, in the savings, in their checking account to to take care of their monthly obligations and they would have some left over. So oftentimes in Scripture, especially in the Old Testament, the the idea of food and oil, that was a, a, a sign of wealth. Right? If you were wealthy, you would have more in your cupboards and, and oil and so forth. So as he talks about the wise person, he, he's saying, you know, for us, it's like we don't have, we have grocery stores on every corner and all that stuff. So, so food isn't the same as it was here in the biblical days. So we could just easily translate that and say that the wise have stores, right, or stored up enough finances to take care of their monthly obligation and have some left over. All right, are we following okay? But a who? No, you aren't saying it with very much conviction there. You you hear it raining outside? I can end now and y'all can go home. Or we can play along and I'll go through the message and we'll end, the rain will stop and you guys will get in your car. Or something like that. All right, so here it is. But a foolish man devours all he has you want to know what that verse says if it were written today the wise person has margin in their life when it comes to finances the fool lives paycheck to paycheck and they hope and pray that nothing happens in their life they have zero save for a rainy day they have zero saved if the, if the washing machine breaks down. They have zero saved if there's a slowdown in the economy or slowdown in work. They have nothing in their margin. And God says, that is a fool who lives that way. And yet, in, our, in, in, in reality, folks, that's our culture. So let me give you a scenario, two scenarios. This is none of you in the church. This is mostly the people in the second service, all right? And don't say I said that. So let's imagine family number one. Family number one, you pull up in front of their house and you look at it. And from, a, from, from, from an outsider looking in, you look and the word success is written all over. I mean, they got a beautiful home. Everything is top of the line, everything. When you push the bell, it doesn't go ding dong. I mean, it goes bong, dong, dong, dong. Right? And, and I mean, it's like, whoa! And you walk in and you're like, wow! This is like home and garden. I mean, everything is, okay, let's close. You guys can go. Everyone's like, reel them in, Pastor Dan, reel them in. All right, here we go. Focus, 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 right? So. You walk into their house, and I mean, everything is spectacular. It is amazing. You look at their yard. It looks like someone cuts it with scissors. I mean, everything is just perfect. The, when you walk in their living room, they got like lines from like the Zamboni machine or the vacuum cleaner, whatever it is. I mean, it just sucks all the carpet in perfect line. I mean, they even have their initials, right? I mean, their, their housekeeper like does like this... They do like, they spell the names out and you walk in, it's like a stadium. You're like, wow, right? From the outside, it looks amazing. But let me tell you, okay, let me tell you. In many cases, not in all cases, but in many cases, you know what it's like on bill day? 
They're robbing Peter to pay Paul. And to be honest with you, both Peter and Paul are both broke too. And they're sweating bullets trying to figure out how to make this thing go. And when you look from the street, from, from, from the untrained eye, right, you sit there and you go, I'm, I mean, I'm telling you, that is the American dream. That is success. That is all of it, right, and more. But if there's no margin, and if you're living that way and you have margin, God bless you, right? I have no, I have no issue with that. But if you're living that way and you have zero margin, I'm not calling you this. God is. You're a fool. You're a fool. You are living paycheck to paycheck. The world says you're successful. God says you're a fool. And you know what? In your heart of hearts, you know that. Because there's tension, there's stress, there's relational problems, there's all kinds of issues that are taking place. And, and, and the truth be known, there are bills that you're afraid to open because you don't want to see the reality of what's going on in your financial picture. Family B. You go up to their house, it's like, it's nice, right? You push the doorbell on that house, it doesn't go bong, bong, bong. You know what it does? Hey, ding dong, someone's at the door, Right? Or it doesn't work, like my house. Hey, I ring your bell, no one's there. Doesn't work. You go in the house, carpets look fine, looks used, looks like someone lives there. Imagine that, right? There's dishes in the sink, but it's comfortable. You know what? In that house of margin, on bill day, there's not stress. You know what there is? There's peace. And when the kids come home and say, hey, I need a new pair of shoes, there isn't like, oh, what are we going to do? It's like, oh, okay. Hey, I need some tires. All right. There's peace in it. But you know what the world says? That person is a failure. God says that person's wise. Whose definition do we embrace? See, see that's, that's, the, that's the rub, isn't it? We embrace what the world has to say. In your outline, 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 6 and following. Godly, uh, but godliness with contentment. This is a cool word. That word means self satisfying here's what it means how many of you have had babies when they pop out the pacifier they start screaming right wah, wah, wah. and you're trying to plug the hole you know what i'm saying right but then there is a time in baby's life where they self-soothe themselves you know some of you young moms that is like glory to god in the highest right because you hear, boink, and then you hear, uh, ah, heaven, <laughs> right? Because they soothe themselves. That's what that word means, all right? So, so look what it says. It says, but godliness with a self-soothing mentality. 
okay? With contentment is great gain. The, the, the word great is the word we get mega, right? It is a mega win, all right? The, the person who has contentment with what they currently have, and we're going to see how, how Paul lays it out, with what they currently have, they are self-soothing with what they currently have, God says to that person, that is not like a win. That is like a win. That is a mega win to be that kind of person. Verse 7, For we brought nothing into the world and we can take nothing out of it. Anyone agree with that? Done over 200 funerals. Never once is there a U-Haul behind the hearse. The truth is, the family will fight over the stuff that you leave behind, just to let you know, all right? So, that's the reality of it, because, oh, he got that screwdriver, and I didn't get it, I only got a crescent wrench. It's like, here's a screwdriver, beat it, would you? All right, here we go. Verse, uh, some of you know that's true. Verse 8, verse 8. But if we have, if we have what? Food and clothes, right? We will be content with that. Meaning, I walk into my closet, I look, I am godly, right? I am godly with a self-soothing. I appreciate what I have. I walk into my closet and I go, cool, look at all the stuff I got to wear. Versus, I have like 75 suits and I don't have anything to wear. Okay? Are we tracking okay? So the person in verse 7 comes in, or verse 8 comes in, and they are content with what they have. Okay? Verse 9 is going to be the other people. Verse 9. People who want to get rich fall into, into temptation and a trap and into many foolish and harmful desires. Well, what does that look like, Paul? Well, here's what it looks like. It looks like it is a person plunging into, what is it? And, yeah. Some of you know people and you might be that person. Because when you're living with the mindset that what you have isn't enough, you're always looking for some way to make more, aren't you? Hello? Right? And oftentimes you get into some really interesting schemes. Would you agree with that? Verse 10. For the, for the love of money. Not money. It's the desire of money. It's the love of money. Is the root of all kinds of evil. Evil. Some people eager for money have wandered from the faith. Now that is not necessarily talking about salvation. You want to know what it's talking about? They don't come to church anymore. You want to know why? They're busy. You want to know why? They got to work. You want to know why? Because there are no margins in their financial life. And when you run into them, you go, hey man, where you been? Oh, I had, to, I, had to, I had to get some extra overtime. I had, to get some, I had to make some more money. I had to get a new this, a new that. Hey, and there's nothing wrong with overtime. And folks, I've told you, I don't expect you here 52 times a year. Okay? That's not the point. But the reality is the average Christ follower is, is, is around 26 to 30 weeks a year. They wandered off. 
the body of Christ is no longer important to them. And he says, they find themselves with many griefs. Right? It's the end of the month, writing out the bills. It's the financial pressure. It's the stress. It's the relational problems because of the financial tension that Paul is writing about. That's the griefs in which we live in today. And the reason why is because we have no financial margin. Because we have adopted what the world has said is success. And as Christ followers, he calls us to be different. Right? He calls us to be different. And so here's what we've done, number one in your outline. Our culture's definition of happiness is more than I currently have. Isn't that true? Hello, church. Absolutely, it's true. That is the genius behind marketing is to make you believe you need what they're advertising because you need it in order to be happy. And the world says this, if you're not happy with yourself, you know what the problem is? It's not an internal issue. You know what the problem is? You just need more. That's what you need. Marital problems. Marriage troubles. Guess what the first three things a marriage uh, uh, couple do when they're in marital problems? You want to know? Seek God, find counseling, and surround themselves with godly people. No. Buy a car, have a baby, buy a house. Now I know why he bought that car. Not to say that, I don't have a new car, but... <clears throat> Nor do we have any kids. Do we have any new kids, honey? No, we're all good. All right. So, my wife's going to kill me tonight. So, but the world says that we need more. That's happiness. If you're not content in your life right now, the problem is is that you just need more of something. Right? And that's where we live. Now, look what Jesus says. Talk about the opposite. Matthew chapter 6, verse 19. Do not... Store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust rust destroy. Folks, listen. (laughs) And I'm not throwing America under under the bus. That is the American dream. Isn't it? In fact, you know what? You have so much stuff, you need to go rent a storage place for all your stuff. Right? It's true. There was a time in America before the recession that the fastest growing uh, businesses were were self-storage. Some of you are like, ooh, ooh, ooh. Aren't you glad you're here? No, I, I Trust me, on that one, the women love me, the men want to execute me. So Jesus says, don't store, store for yourselves Treasures on this earth where moth and rust will destroy, right? And where thieves will break in and steal. But, verse 20, but store up for yourselves treasures in, yeah, not at the self-storage, in heaven. Where moth and rust do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. Verse 21, and I'm going to let the, 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 just the, the spirit of God and the power of God's word sink, in, sink into your heart. For where your treasure is, there there your heart will be also. You want to know what that verse would say in a contemporary setting? 
If you want to know where your heart is, just look in your checkbook. It's where it's at. God's first, Dan. No, no. Jesus just said, just look in your checkbook and tell me where he's at. Where your dollar goes, your heart goes also. Now look with me on this. On average, a Christ follower in the USA gives 2% of their income to God. That means that 98% of it goes to the world. Just stop. The difference between contentment, godly contentment, is where your heart is. Okay, remember what I said, the historian said. Since the 18th century, the Western culture has always desired to progress, to advance. Have more, do more, be more is, quote, success. That means, if this statistic is right, and trust me, it it is, 98% of the average believer in Jesus' Christ heart is attached to the world. Who are you yoked to? Who are you yoked to? Now, I know there's a pushback, so I want to come in here, and I'm loaded for bear today. Pastor Dan just wants to fill the coffers of the church, man, so he can make more money. I already know. I've heard some of you. Just let me tell you, there's a time in a church's life when the size of the church, when a church is really small, the pastor makes what the church can afford. As the church gets larger, then it becomes different. All right? So, For instance, our staff and the vast majority of the larger churches in our area will get a book like this. And this book is a survey that's taken place every other year of churches across America. And salaries in our church, can't speak for other churches, but in our church is based on surveys, based on the size, the education, and the the, uh, experience and responsibility of that particular staff person. All right? So, if in our case, if our church giving increased by a million dollars, none of our staff are going to get huge raises because we take a survey and it's based on a survey of it. All right? So, so you, you, you kind of get that? So, some of you who are trying to you know, get around me and get on the front side of me to say, he's only looking for money. That isn't the case. All right? It's not the case. We have a survey, and that's the way that that, that our salaries will take place. As the church gets larger, the the, the responsibilities increase, the pay of the staff grows larger. Okay? So oftentimes people say, we don't disclose what staff make, but oftentimes people say, well, what does a pastor make? If, if I was a union tradesperson, okay, with three or four years experience, I would be making more outside 
than the average pastor will make in a medium-sized, mid-sized church like ours. All right, so you guys can go home and Google that, figure that out. All right? So I want to head you off so your mind doesn't go there that this is about filling the coffers. It isn't it. When our annual budget was $78,000 when I first started and we had 84 people in church, God took care of my needs then. And when, and when it's today and our annual giving is roughly $800,000 a year, guess what? God takes care of my needs too. Isn't that amazing? Right? So, so this isn't about salaries. This, this, is, this is about you sweating bullets on bill day because you have zero margin financially in your life. Okay, as I've often said, my goal is to work my way out of a job. Right? My, my, and, and that will be happy when the Lord returns, I'm finished, right? But until then, when all y'all have it dialed in and good and good to go, your marriage is good, your kid's good, your finance is good, your spiritual life is good, I could check out of here. Right? But in the meantime, i got a little work to do. Alright? So, how do we create margin in our life? Here it is. I put God first in my finances. Alright? I put God first in my finances in my life. We seek first the kingdom of God. We yoke with Him in our life. If we are yoked with the world, we are going to be out of balance. When we're yoked with the world, our desire is always greater than our earning ability. Hence, revolving credit problems. Are we okay with that? Right? So we're constantly wanting more. Well, why? Because there's something missing in our life. And so when we put God first in our finances, it begins to create balance in our life and it begins to remind us that we're seeking him first and we're putting him first in our life and we begin to get ourselves in balance so here, here's what we're going to do when we put god first there are three huge huge benefits of it number one in your outline is that i experience god's blessings right i experience god's blessings in malachi chapter 3 verse 8 uh, and following says this. You guys there? It says this. Bring the, what's the word? Whole. Okay. Now again, oftentimes people say, well, when it comes to giving, can I give a little bit here and a little bit there? I'm not going to argue with you. I'm just going just to just tell you what the scripture says. You can take it up with God and have your own argument. But here's what it says. Bring the whole tithe. A tithe is not what you put in your envelope. A tithe is 10% of what you make. Okay? People say, well, a tithe is, you know, I give my tithe. If it's 10% of what you make, that is a tithe. Okay? That's what the word means. Tithe means 10%. All right? So bring the whole tithe into the storehouse, and that would be the church in which you are fellowshipping, you are worshiping, you are a part of, right? That there may be food in my house. All right. Now, the food was to meet the needs of the community. The food was to meet the needs of the congregation. The food was to, to reach out to the, the place to let them know of God's love and God's grace in their life. Okay? We as believers are to bring it into 
the house of God, and the reason why we bring it in is not so the staff can get rich and fly around in Lear jets and all that kind of stuff. Those guys are on TV. Trust me, it's very few and far between. Most pastors are just kind of eking along. But it's so that we make a difference in the community. So here is what's interesting about this verse. It's almost if God is anticipating what most people are thinking. 10%? Are you kidding so look what he says. Test me in this. I mean, he's already anticipating it. He's already anticipating it. He already knows that you're going to go, <laughs> I don't think so. So he says, test me in this. Says the Lord who? Almighty. Almighty. You know what that, that word means? Self-existent God of all things. Okay? So the God of all things, but by the way, He doesn't need what you have. He wants your heart. Right? He, if you don't give anything, the church is going to move on. Right? We're still going to reach people. We're going to do our business. Right? So, so he, he understands that. And so he, he even gives it a little bit of a dink. Here it is. Says the Lord God Almighty. Right? Or the Lord Almighty. And see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out on you my, or so much blessings that you will not have room enough for it. Right? Folks, if there is a verse in all of the Scripture where you can tangibly experience God's grace and God's mercy, it is in the area of giving. It is in the area of giving. Right, and it's it's one of the tests in which we do when we give. There's a tangible, there's a tangible experience in it, and the solution of breaking consumerism and materialism is giving. You want to know why? Because you recognize who's first, who owns it all, and in this world, it isn't about you. Right? is isn't about you. And he says, I'll throw open the floodgates and you will experience the blessings from God. And so you have to... Here's where the rubber meets the road. Are you going to test him? Or are you going to sit back and go, I don't think so. See, here's the, here's the, here's the part. If you don't, you don't experience the blessings. You say, well, Dan, I'm blessed. Good. How much more could you be? That you don't know, do you? You have no idea. Number two. The second thing is, is I become supernaturally content. Right? I become supernaturally content in my life. When I begin to pray for God's divine direction in the area of my finances, when I recognize that He's first, when I put Him first in the area of my finance, then I experience God's supernatural contentment that we talked about earlier in Proverbs chapter 15, verse 6. Better, better a little with the fear of the Lord. Now that doesn't mean scared. That means reverence for God. Okay, that's what that word means. It doesn't mean you're, you're, you're afraid of God. It means that you, you have a reverence for God. Better a little 
with reverence for the Lord than great wealth with turmoil. Pulling up in front of the house, going, wow! And then going inside and having all kinds of fights about finances and all kinds of problems inside. That verse says, you know what? Better to walk in where the doorbell doesn't work and there's margin in your life and being content than stressed out and having the battles over financial issues. Number three is that I end up with more of what matters. I end up with more than what matters. What's interesting about what I'm going to share with you is you will not have what everyone else desires physically, but you will have what the vast majority do not have spiritually. Right? You will have physically not like the world has, but spiritually you will have what the world longs for and doesn't know how to find. Proverbs 18 or 8, verse 18. He says, With me are riches and honor. With me are lasting wealth and success. Verse 19. For my fruit, or, or I should say for, my fruit is better than fine gold. My gifts are better than fine silver. Agree with that? Here's where we're at, folks. Here's where we're at. In my personal life, I can't recall a single time where I bought something in a consumer mindset and I was just moved by the Spirit of God to tears. I mean, I've never walked into, like, you know, the shoe store and looked down and go, oh, Skechers. 30% off. Oh, God, you are so gracious. You're so wonderful. You're so amazing. Never. But I will tell you this, through my spiritual life, and especially in the early days of my ministry, when I was making 1200 bucks a month and my rent was 825 bucks a month and I had two kids and a wife and I, worked, I went to school full-time and worked full-time and God miraculously <laughs> kept making the checks clear and my wife, who has like an accounting mindset, said, this isn't adding up. I said, I don't know. Let's just keep doing it, right? We're not smart enough to understand this stuff. This is just God's economy. Right? You, this is the, this is, I'm being brutally honest with you. 24 years in the ministry, there's not a week or a month that goes by where I don't reach back, back into my days of school, back when I was a part, part, part time youth guy. I don't reach back to God's faithfulness in my life and reach back and say, God, you were faithful back then, you're faithful today. Right? To a point where when God lays on your heart a person to help or a person to send, we sent a couple to Washington State. They were 
just uh, out of place. We didn't have the finances. We just believed God did it. God provided for us, right? Above and beyond, he provided for us. And you look back in those days and you see the faithfulness of God. You see how he is so faithful to us. But I've never met a person when it comes to consuming and buying things where they're moved by the Spirit of God because they got a great deal and the Skechers were 30% off. Two for one. Never. Never. You can disagree with me all you want. You can go home with me and argue like I have argued with my parents when I was a teenager going, they're toads, they're so stupid, they don't know anything. Or you can do what many of us have already figured out, that God is faithful, he's the owner of all things. And when you put him first in your area of of finances and you follow him, don't shortcut, right? Don't gimp. And you follow him. I promise you. He will supply your needs. I promise you. And so here's the thing where people ask. Well we can't afford to do this. And here's my answer back to you. You can't afford not to. You can't afford not to. Are you going to be yoked with Christ? Or are you yoked with the world? where you're at. Bow your heads and close your eyes. As you sit here today, I'm going to just ask you a question and I think you're going to know the answer. Who are you yoked to? Is it the world? Or is it God? Father, my heart's desire, my prayer, my cry out to you, Lord, is that each of us in here today, that we would be yoked to you. That we would be submitting to you, that we would be in partnership to you, or that we would be walking in the same path, in the same direction, and at the same speed of you. That we would recognize that you are the Lord of our life. And you are the Lord of this creation. And that you spoke it into existence. And you are in control. And we are simply your children. Father, for those who are struggling financially, God, we pray that you will give them discernment and wisdom in their area of finances. Lord, that you would give them the faith that they need to step down and and to trust you in the area of finances. Father, that you would reveal yourself to them in a powerful and meaningful way. Lord, for those who are here today and perhaps they don't know you as as a personal Savior, And if you're here today and you don't know who Christ is as your Lord and Savior of your life, I want to give you an opportunity to invite Him in to be your Lord and Savior 
and we just do a little ABC. A is admit that we've missed the mark, that we're sinners, and that's what sin means is to miss the mark and that we've, we've missed the mark. We've made mistakes. We've sinned against God. B is to believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, that he died on a cross, that he rose again. And C is to confess him as Lord and Savior. And if you're here today and you do not have a personal relationship with Christ, as I say this prayer, just silently repeat after me, not out loud, silently. Just say, Lord Jesus, today, I admit that I am a sinner, that I've made mistakes, that I've missed the mark. And I believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, that he died on a cross and that he rose again. And today, I confess him to be my Lord and Savior. Lord, thank you for saving me. Lord, thank you for giving me a new life, a new heart, a new mind. And I give you all the praise and all the glory. It's in Christ's name I pray. In Jesus' name I pray. And all God's people said... Amen.